Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. And this is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. Just now when I was saying that, I was kind of sad that we couldn't both be like in each other's closets again. It was really fun. It was so fun. And you guys have been so sweet because everyone's been messaging and like, that was the best intro ever. You guys are so happy. We were so happy. We were, it was, it's almost annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And there was so much, I don't know if you noticed, but when I was listening back to it, there's so much noise in the background. I know. From, from the, the kids, kids, I guess. Yeah. Creaking. And, it was like, and we couldn't care less. We were like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is life. <laughs> it was great fun. So now we're back in our respective closets and getting ready for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Christy has a really pretty tree behind her. Can't see it. <laughs> I, I don't have decorations up because I can't get it together, but I did order all of my stuff for Christmas, Mm -hmm. like all in one day, Mm -hmm. rapid fire ordering from like probably five different sites. And so it's all been coming in. And the other day I got, I think it was like seven boxes on my porch at one time. And that was just from Amazon. (laughs) So then I had like five from UPS, literally all in one day at one point during the day, there were two delivery trucks at the same time sitting in front of my house bringing boxes up to my porch. They're like, what's up, man? I'll and I'm just bunch. standing there like, I don't have a problem. Everything's right. fine. So guess what I did, though? So I put snacks on my porch for the delivery. Yeah, we do that, too. You do. And I'm like, thank you guys hard because I just made you work really hard you had to come up on my porch seven different times. <laughs> so here's a water and a granola bar. Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> They're probably like, can you put something better? I know. I need to put I'm gonna go to the store and get something better. I'm gonna do oranges. You know how we get this so my husband's company always delivers us this oh. giant box of oranges. Listen, when I say giant box, there's I don't, how many oranges would you say is in there? hundred, it's like a hundred oranges. No way you can eat all of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going to put those out there. <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. I should probably put some fruit in mine because sometimes I feel like maybe they, they don't want what's out there and there might be some healthy yeah, fruit. Yeah, granola is healthy. Come but, on. No, I know. I put granola bars, but I also have fig newtons in there. I usually have bags of chips, but I forgot to buy them this time. And I have little individual oh, yeah. Oreo things. I'm so hungry. There. We've been talking about it this morning. We're so we're intermittent fasting, so we can't eat. <laughs> we're both complaining. I can't even yeah. have a mimosa this morning. Hungry. Sad. <laughs> know why we do these things. Okay. So I have a crime for you if you're ready for a crime. And then we can go eat. I'm always ready. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Okay. Here we go, guys. Good plan. Okay, my friends, this case is a doozy. I know it always reminds of Pinky Patel. It's not what I was trying to do here, but... Hello, my friends. <laughs> Welcome back to my channel. Um, so this story is a crazy story. It's a doozy. I'm glad that we're starting it out funny because it's just not. It's not going to be? No. <laughs> this, um, this murder or crime will not be funny? Is it will not. Viewer discretion okay. is advised. Okay. Ugh. Um. It does contain some sexual assault discussion, Mm -hmm. nothing graphic. That's not what we do here, but I just wanted people to know. 
Um, this case was suggested by our listener, Jana. Oh, uh, yes, I know Jana. You know Jana? I don't know Jana, but Jana was involved in another one of ours. Didn't want to be named in that, but she was involved in somewhat involved in another one. Of oh, ours. okay. Okay. Yeah. So Jana is from a small town in Michigan called Holland, and that is where the story takes place. This looks like a very cute small town. It's known for its Dutch heritage, hmm. and it's near Grand Rapids and right on the water. It okay. looks beautiful. It's on the lake? Yeah, I think it's the lake. It's like, um, I guess it would be a part of the lake, but it's like where the lake comes down in between two pieces of Michigan. Okay. But I'm assuming it's still part of Lake Michigan. Okay. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the story of Janet Chandler. Do you know it? I don't think so. <clears throat> okay. I don't recognize the name, but that doesn't mean that I won't recognize pieces of it later. So, okay. <laughs> I got it. So Janet Marie Chandler was born on May 29th of 1956. She's a Gemini, by the way. Okay. She was born to parents Jim and Glenna Chandler, and she was the middle of two brothers. So she had an older brother and a younger brother. Janet's family was a very good family. They were very conservative, very devout Christians. So she was raised a little bit sheltered because of that. Mm -hmm. She was the only Mm -hmm. girl, and her parents and her brothers were very protective of her One report that I read said that Janet was not allowed to go to friends' houses if their parents knowingly consumed alcohol. Oh, if the parents did. Right. So if there was alcohol in the home being consumed, she was not allowed to go to that home. Hmm. Okay. So very uh, strict. She, um, they attended church regularly. They participated in evangelical work and outreach programs just very involved in Mm -hmm. their faith and the church. Janet is described as fun-loving, full of life, very sweet. She loved children. And while she was in daycare, she, or while she was in high school, she worked at a daycare. She is described by her father as the most spiritual one of the family. So she really seemed to embrace this upbringing that, you know, and the religion and everything. She as much as, as it should be, right? Isn't don't they say like the the man of the house should be like the spiritual leader of the house? No, she was described as the most spiritual. Oh, she was. Oh, her, her dad described her. Okay, I'm sorry. I heard it the other way that she described her dad as. Okay, I'm sorry. No, her dad described her as the most spiritual one in the family. Okay, carry on. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So she wasn't super popular. She was sort of shy, but she did have friends. I mean, she she wasn't a loner by any means, but her real passion was her music. She played piano and she sang. She was like a smaller young lady, like just in Mm -hmm. stature. And everyone said... And I agree because I have heard videos of her singing that her voice, the voice that came from her did not match her body because oh. it was just so big and rich and like mm-hmm. beautiful. She has like a very opera type style of singing. Mm-hmm. Big voice. Mm-hmm. Seriously. So she sang in the choir at church and she took piano lessons and vocal lessons. And then she decided that she wanted to pursue music as a career. 
So she enrolled in Hope College, which is a small Christian college in Holland. Okay. Okay. So she did very well there and she liked it and she liked the path that she was on. But after her junior year, she decided that she was a little bit burnout with college just in general. Mm -hmm. So she told her parents that she was going to take a break from it for a bit before she went back for her senior year. So she finished out the semester. It ended in whatever, May, June. She was going to take the summer off and then the next semester off and just like work and do other things. So it's summer of 1978. Janet is 22 and she gets a job as a nighttime desk clerk at the Blue Mill Inn in town. So just to be clear, this is a motel. Okay. <laughs> like it's not a nice establishment. It's like a motel. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she starts making her own money and then she moves out of her parents' house and she moves in with her friend, Lori Ann Swank. Lori is a manager at the Blue Mill Inn. So the two of them work together and live together in an apartment and they're best friends. So also during this time in her life is when Janet begins to discover adult things is how it was described. Oh, She is a young lady. She's 22 years old. She's out on her own for the very first time. She's coming from a very Christian, sheltered, conservative home. And she is really seeing what other 22-year-olds her age are doing. And Mm -hmm. I think it's probably safe to say that she starts to sow her wild oats, as they say. It's the 70s. It's free love. Mm -hmm. Right. So during this time in 1978 in Holland, there was a big local plant called Chemtron that went on strike. The workers went on strike. So there were hundreds of people striking and picketing. And Holland, it's such a small town, their police department was having a hard time managing this big strike, this big, Mm -hmm. you know, upheaval in the town. So they called in extra help. They didn't even know you could do this. There was a company called Wackenhut Security. What? Cue, cue the jokes. Cue the jokes. <laughs> it's a funny name, Wacken Hut. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that I would hire them to like actually do security. Right. But anyway. All right. So, right. <laughs> okay. I mean, like I was laughing out loud as well. Like, wait, maybe, okay. Maybe to do security for like your like bar or something, but like the police force to call in them as reinforcements. Clearly they could have been a very prestigious company. I shouldn't say anything just based on the name. <laughs> yeah, Judger. Okay. So this this company, it's a company that has employees, um, employees, guards, and security personnel to come in on a temporary basis for situations like this, like they were having in Holland where the police needs supplemental help, mm-hmm. like an outsourcer, whack and hut. Mm-hmm. So there were about 80 guards from the security company that came to Holland from all over the country to help out, and all of them were staying at the Blue Mill Inn. Okay. So was this simply like a freelance kind of company? Like they don't have a – like that's what they do. They are calling these people in from everywhere. Yes. 
Right. So it's like not just these- like based in one spot and they have a whole bunch of people that work for them. No, okay. because I got these you. guys were from all over the country. And are they – and I don't know if you know this and I'm sorry that I'm I'm totally diving into this for some reason. <laughs> um, are they like police officers or trained professionals I, that they're just like, oh, I'll do this on my day off? <laughs> well, no. This is their full-time job from what I understand, okay. but okay. Um, I don't know what their training okay. requires. I would imagine that they probably only have to have training similar to uh, like a security officer. I doubt that they went through police training because then they'd be police. Okay. Okay. But I don't know that. So these guys, these guards, these whacking, whacking hut guys, <laughs> they were bad boys. Bad boys. They were all young, mostly single men that lived, like we just talked about, somewhat of a nomadic life, traveling from place to place to do these jobs. And they liked women, they liked drugs, and they liked mm-hmm. to party. And that's exactly what they did when they came to Holland. So they would very frequently throw all-night parties at the Blue Mill Inn Motel. And because Janet worked the night desk, she would often be there for these parties and she would party with them. Mm. So she made friends with some of the guards. All of them did. Everybody who worked in the hotel and like a lot of people in town kind of started making friends with these guys. And... um Everybody was just really friendly with them. Mm -hmm. Like they hung out, they partied, whatever. Janet did develop some romantic relationships with some of them as well Mm -hmm. during the time that they were there. There was one man in particular whose name is Arthur Carl Paiva. He goes by Carl. He was a few years older than Janet and he was the lead guard for the Wackenhut boys. So he was the one in charge. Okay. Carl did not stay at the motel. He had a lake house that was closer to the plant where they were working. Mm. So he was the boss man. They gave him a house so he didn't have to stay with the guys that were under him. So Janet and Carl had this intimate relationship that went on for a few months. But the thing is, Janet's roommate and friend, Lori who also worked at the motel, was also having a relationship with Carl. Did either one know about the other? Janet knew that Lori and Carl were together. And then Janet kind of snuck in and also started a relationship with him. So he was having a relationship with both. And Janet and Carl kept their relationship a secret from Lori. Got it. So by the winter of 1978, so Janet had been, you know, dropped out of college for, I don't know, six months or so at this point, she decided that she was done. She's done with all this party and stuff. She wants to go back to school. She wants to go back to this Christian college, get her life back on track and, you know, move forward. So she re-enrolled in the spring semester, which started in January of 1979. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's still working at the motel. She's still living with Lori, but she's going back to school now. Mm-hmm. So she starts her senior year, and that brings us to the real beginning of our story, which is January thirty first, nineteen seventy nine. In the in the early morning, around one a.m., the Holland Police Department receives a call from the Blue Mill Inn. 
The call was placed by a man named Robert Lynch. Robert was a guard, a Wackenhut guard, and he said that he had reason to believe that there may be a robbery in the office of the motel. Hmm. He said that he was on the phone with Janet, the night desk clerk. He had called for a wake-up call, and he heard a disturbance. He heard somebody barge into the office, and then he heard Janet say, wait a minute. He heard a man's voice talking like angrily, aggressively, and then heard Janet say, please don't take it all, sir. And they were disconnected. Hmm. So Robert tried to call the front desk back and it was busy. So he went to another guard's room and woke him up and told him what was going on. And the two of them then called the police. So the police come right away and they find the motel's office was sort of ransacked. There were papers Mm -hmm. everywhere, you know, stuff knocked over. Um, There was a petty cash box that was sitting out and it was empty. So they were able to later confirm that a little over $500 was stolen. Oh, wow. But also Janet was gone. There was no sign of her. She wasn't there. So she had left a lit cigarette in the ashtray. So like she had been smoking a cigarette theoretically when this person Mm -hmm. had come in. Right. And her, her coat was still hanging in the office. So she didn't take personal belongings with her. So they don't think that she left. It's January in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was yeah. snowing. So you would take your coat. So the police suspect a robbery and an abduction had occurred. And they begin investigating that. They call Janet's parents and an all points bulletin is issued. And they put out a be on the lookout for Janet with a picture of her and her description. They do find fresh tire tracks in the snow outside of the motel. And it looked like it was a smaller four-wheel drive vehicle. So like an SUV or a blazer, not a truck, something smaller, but also four-wheel drive. But other than that, it's she, Janet's just gone. It's like she vanished Whoever robbed the motel vanished and took her. So they search for Janet and question people all day long that whole next day. But later that night, which is actually the night of February 1st, about 24 hours after Janet went missing, there's a snowplow driver who is plowing the roads near South Haven, Michigan, which is about 40 miles south of Holland. And it was snowing pretty hard, and he's there to clear the roads and make sure that everybody is safe and can move on and continue to drive. And he notices that there are fresh tire tracks on a side road that's leading into the woods. And he thinks that's very odd because they had clearly just been there. These tracks had just been made. And he was wondering why someone would be going back down this road into the woods at one o'clock in the morning during Mm -hmm. a snowstorm. So he pulled over. And he gets out of a snowplow and he notices over to the right that there's a snowbank. So, you know, where the the snow has been plowed and there's a bank. And on the snowbank, there's footprints and like like a path almost Hmm. that has been like made through the snow. So he walks closer and he sees that there is a naked body of a woman that's partially covered by snow. Oh, no. 
So he calls police and they come out and they preliminarily determine that the woman is Janet Chandler. Mm. She was pronounced dead at 22 years old. Janet was found face up, totally nude. She did not have any visible injuries, but she did have ligature marks around her neck. Mm. And there was evidence of sexual assault. Based on the snowfall and the marks in the snow that they found, they believed that she had been killed somewhere else and that her body had been driven there and dragged. And then somebody tried to cover it up and they estimate that she had only been there a matter of minutes. Oh, my gosh. So, like, he just missed whoever this was. I bet they could tell by the snowfall and like yeah because there was like no yeah. snow covering up the footprints or anything mm-hmm. like that so it had just and it was snowing hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so an autopsy was performed and it was noted that the ligature marks around her neck were consistent with a leather belt. She had fingernail scrapes around her neck, which would indicate that she would try mm-hmm. to pull the whatever was around her neck off or like free mm-hmm. herself or get some type of room. She had tape residue around on her face, around her eyes and her mouth, indicating that she had been blindfolded and gagged. She had handcuff marks around her wrists, and there was evidence of sexual activity prior to her death. There were no drugs or alcohol in her system, and her cause of death was determined to be suffocation secondary to strangulation. They did collect some evidence like hairs and fibers, fingerprints and things like that. But this is 1979. Mm -hmm. DNA was not even a thought. Mm -hmm. It was just not a possibility even. So we have to keep that in mind. Tracking dogs and helicopters were used to search the area for any any additional evidence, but nothing was ever found. They did never found her clothes, personal belongings, nothing. So police now have a homicide on their hands, and now they really begin interviewing all of Janet's family, her friends, her coworkers, everyone at the motel, all the guests at the motel, which com- comprised mostly of the Wackenhut guards. Mm-hmm. They did find out that Janet had some relationships with some of the guards. They questioned them. Some of them were polygraphed, but they were never able to make any connections to any of them and her death. Most of them had been together that night. They had alibis. So they really just couldn't connect that they were ever with Mm -hmm. Janet, that they had taken her from the motel, nothing. So there were tips that were coming in of a possible, like possible vehicle sightings in the motel parking lot or near the place where Janet's body had been found. But lead after lead that they kept getting just kept fizzling out. Mm. So we will get more into the investigation right after this break. So shortly after Janet's death, the strike at the plant ended and all the Wackenhut guards went home or to their Mm. next respective job. And after that, things really got cold and quiet in Janet's case. Um, Tips were very few and far between, and the ones that did come in just didn't lead anywhere. So it was a cold case. There were a lot of theories going around on um, about whether she knew the person who abducted her 
or was it just a crime of opportunity? Was she set up? Was it someone who disliked her for some reason? Some investigators claim to have known who killed Janet, but couldn't prove it. And so they never said it publicly. Oh, interesting. They had a lead on a convicted rapist near the area that acted really sketchy and they really honed in on him and questioned him a lot. He ended up confessing to another totally unrelated murder. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like he did have something to hide, but it didn't have anything to do with Janet. Mm-hmm. Some people even believe that it may have been a serial killer like Ted Bundy that had abducted and killed Janet. Apparently he had, there was possibility he had been in that area during oh. this time frame, but you know, nobody was ever able to really make any actual conclusions about that. It was just a theory. Mm-hmm. So years and years go by with nothing concrete. And even though they were never able to make any headway in her case, the police in Holland never closed it. And they always kept her picture up on their bulletin board for a long well, time. This was. Okay. Yeah, it was the only unsolved homicide in Holland. And it was like you're saying you're saying never solved it. (laughs) But I guess that police company did or police department didn't solve it. (laughs) Well, just you wait. Okay. So it's cold, 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 cold. For twenty-five years. Oh my hate those. I mean, I hate them, but I love them because clearly it's solved at some point, but it takes so freaking long. Right. It's true. It's very frustrating. This poor family. So in 2003, a communications professor from Hope College, which is where Janet attended, caught wind somehow of her case. He decided that for one of his classes that he was going to make a documentary about Janet's case, about the investigation and the impact that it had had on their community. So he and eight of his students spent months interviewing people who knew Janet, investigators and police that worked her case, teachers, friends, her parents participated in it. Um, And it was released in January of 2004, which was exactly 25 years after her death. Did you watch it? Yes, I did watch it. It is called Who Killed Janet Chandler? And... Yes, it's very hard to find. You have to pay for it. It's a rough documentary. I mean, it's done by college students, but I do have to say it's extremely well done and it's extremely moving because the people who worked on her case and like the investigators and the community members, you really see how shook they were by the fact that they could not solve this case. It's heartbreaking to see her parents. Her dad like cries through the entire thing. It's so hard to watch him like relive this and talk about it, but it's good. It's a good documentary. So it was shown at the local college theater and on local TV stations in Holland. And one of the most intriguing parts about it, I think, is it's mysterious the way that these detectives are trying to say what they're not legally allowed to say. Like they, they think they know exactly who did this to her and they just can't talk about their theories. So Mm -hmm. really, really mysterious, really intriguing. They just couldn't prove anything. 
So I'm not the only one who thought that because this movie, this documentary gained a lot of attention, particularly by law enforcement and cold case units. And they decided to take another look at her case and said, we think this is a solvable case. Hmm. So it was totally revamped. And they started from the very beginning and went through every piece of paperwork, every interview, all of this stuff. And apparently there were like eight to 10 binders of notes and like investigative information that they had to go through. One really discouraging thing, though, um, because I know you're going to ask me, is that anything (laughs) that could have been tested, like any blood, any secretions, any fluids had already been discarded. So they did not have those things right. to test for DNA, which is super sad. But in the 70s, How did they, they just, keep that stuff. Well, in the 70s, they didn't keep it at all because they had no They're, clue like, oh, later down the road, maybe we'll have this magical thing called DNA testing. So they didn't. They got what they could out of it and then they discarded mm-hmm. it. So, so they tracked down everyone that they could that Janet associated with or was involved with prior to her death. They found her friend Lori, who was her coworker from the motel. They found the maids, and they also tracked down the Wackenhut guards. But you have to keep in mind that these detectives are coming back to interview these people twenty-five years later. Right. So yeah. they're not—they're old. I mean, they're mm-hmm. not twenty-something-year-old kids. These people are grown. They're in their fifties. They have families. But they well, and there's also that like proof that you know your memory sometimes it it's not the same later, not just because you're old, but because you just it's been so long since this twenty five years. Yeah, I mean, it can't be as reliable. Mm-hmm. But they do it anyway. So they learn that two of the guards in particular seemed to have a very close relationship with Janet. So one was that Carl Piba who was the lead guard that Janet was secretly seeing behind her friend's back. Right, right, right. And the other one was Robert Lynch. Robert, if you remember, is the guard who made the 911 call about the robbery. He's the one who said he was on the phone with her. So they go see Carl. Carl claims that the night Janet was murdered, he was with another woman that he had an alibi, he was at the house, he had somebody was with him, I had nothing to do with it, leave me alone, get off my lawn. Right. <laughs> Robert acts a bit more guilty, though. He seems to have he seems to have a story. Mm-hmm. So investigators really hone in on him because they can tell that he knows more than what he is saying. So they keep going back to him. They keep going back and then they'll go question other people and then they come back to Robert and then they go back and talk to somebody else. But then they come back to Robert over and over and over again. They keep questioning. They're gaining his trust. Oh, we just want to verify what this maid told us. Can you tell us again what you were doing? And little by little, Robert starts telling them more and more and more. They interview him dozens of times over an 18-month period. Oh, my gosh. And is he just very consistent? He's He doesn't turn them away. And more times than not, he tells a little bit more each and every time that they go back to interview him. It was extremely interesting to, like, hear or read about, like, how the steadfastness of these mm-hmm. investigators. Like, they just would not leave him alone. 
Right. So the first thing that he admits to is that he had been intimately involved with Janet. So before he was like, no, I knew who she was. I didn't really know anything about her. But then he admits, yes, I, I, we, we had sex. Yeah. So then a few interviews later, he tells them that near the time of her death, that he had been at a party with Janet and some other people and the party went haywire Mm. in quotes. So little by little, they're peeling back the onion layers, trying to get some kind of something out of him. And then they play for Robert the documentary oh, that was oh. made by this college, this college students. So this is 2006 by this time. Right. And at the time, Robert, remember, she, she died in 1979. It's right, 2006. Right. So Robert had a daughter who was the same age as Janet when she died. And so they play off this. They are like, look, her parents... Look at how distraught they are. They have no answers, you know, no justice for their daughter. What if this was your daughter? You know, how would you feel? What wouldn't you want to yeah. know who did this to your daughter? What happened to your daughter? And there went the floodgates. There they went. So Robert just lost it. He broke down and he told them the whole story. Oh, no. Now, hold on to your pants. I I already I already had him in my hand. Take a sip. Everybody take a sip. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. So Robert tells investigators that Janet, he had a crush on her. And he knew that she had been secretly sleeping with Carl, the head guard. Mm-hmm. And that Carl and Lori, Janet's friend and roommate, were also in a relationship. Right? So we have this right. like, kind of triangle and he's like outside looking in. So Lori finds out about the secret affair that Janet and Carl were having, and she got pissed at Janet. Mm-hmm. I'll never understand. I'll never understand why we are not pissed at the person who is doing the cheating on you. But okay. But uh, Janet's her friend. So I get it. It's right. And both, both and both knew. But yes. I, yeah. No, I she, she, she's mad. Okay. So she went to Carl. And she told Carl that Janet was a slut. She's a big slut. Mm. And she's sleeping with all of his guards, all the Whack and Hut boys, all your men. She's sleeping with everybody. So this made Carl jealous and mad. And, of course, we already know Laurie's scorned woman. So the two of mm-hmm. them hatch a plan to get back at Janet. All right. Here's your trigger warning. Mm, my gosh. They say that they are planning a surprise party for Janet. The purpose of the party was for Janet to get passed around to anyone who wanted to have a piece, gangbang her to teach her a lesson. Her friend planned this? Her friend. Mm-hmm. And roommate and boss. Beth? Would you ever do that to me? Never. Good gracious. Okay. So that was poor, poor timing on that, but that is awful. Oh my gosh. Awful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So they involve some of the guards that they're close with and some of the other motel employees, some of the maids. Everyone's just all in here. They're like, okay, yeah, let's teach Janet a lesson. Oh my gosh. So a guard named James Nelson 
lured Janet out of the hotel office by saying that they were throwing a party in her honor. She was taken to the lake house near the plant where Carl was staying. And uh, Carl and or Robert, I'm sorry, Robert, who's confessing this, and Lori then staged the motel office and made the 911 call to make it look like a robbery so that they had a reason why Janet was gone. For the next day and a half, these guards trickle in and out of the house and they all took turns sexually assaulting Janet, repeatedly raping her, torturing her, blindfolding her, gagging her, choking her. And Laurie and Carl were present the entire time and just egging it on, egging these rapists on. Oh, my gosh. It's just the most horrific nightmare you can ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Ever. So Robert said that when his shift was over, he also went to the house to take his turn. He admitted to raping Janet and says that during his assault, he began choking her with the belt that was around her neck. But sometime during, he realized she wasn't moving anymore. So he ripped off the blindfold, ripped off the gag, and they realized that Janet was dead. So it was Robert that ultimately killed her. So the men wash her body to get rid of any evidence, and they dispose of all of her personal belongings, everything they have. And Robert then takes the body 40 miles south and buries her in the snow in the wooded area. So there were enough details that Robert gave them that had not been released publicly that they knew he was telling the truth, that this Mm -hmm. is what had happened to her. So in February of 2006, Robert was arrested for the first-degree murder of Janet Chandler. Oh, my gosh. Then in September of 2006, Laurie Ann Swank and Carl Paiva were also arrested for her murder, along with three other Wackenhut guards that they could confirm were present and participated in Janet's rape and murder and cover-up. So Freddie Parker was one, James Nelson, who was the one that lured her out of the hotel, motel, and Anthony Williams. So this is 30 years after Janet's murder, and they now have six suspects charged. Yeah. Unbelievable. Because of the documentary. Mm -hmm. from college students. So in December of 2006, Robert Lynch, the guy who confessed, took a plea deal. He pled guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for his full confession. So he had to tell it all in detail, nothing left out to the court. He was sentenced to 25 to 40 years in prison. And then in January 2007, Lori Ann Swank, Janet's friend, Mm -hmm. took a plea deal and pled guilty to second-degree murder as well in exchange for her testimony against Carl and the three other guards. So she turned state's witness, essentially. She was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. In December 2007, Carl Paiva who was the mastermind along with, you know, the girlfriend, the ringleader Mm -hmm. behind this plan was found guilty of first degree murder, rape 
and kidnapping, he was sentenced to life, life in prison without parole. Oh, wow. So, but in 2013, he died in prison. So he oh, well. only served like, what, five years? Okay. The three other men, Freddie Parker, James Nelson, and Anthony Williams, were also found guilty in 2007 of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and rape. And they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. James Nelson, the one that lured her out of the motel, he died in prison last year in 2020. So, But all of these men, oh, except okay. for Robert, Robert confessed. But all of the other ones still claim and claimed to the day they died that they had nothing to do with Janet's death. So they never admitted to anything ever. So it's widely believed hmm. that there were more people involved and present during Janet's rape and torture and murder because they think there was dozens of people that were just coming in and out of the house. And there were so many people that knew what was going on, but these six convictions were all that they had enough to secure because of just mm. how much time had gone by and everything. So that is the story of Janet Chandler. Holy cow. I know. Here's what's amazing to me. Well, first of all, it really goes to show you how important it is to continue to talk about this stuff and tell victims' stories when they're not, you know, solved. Mm. Because it it really was this professor and these students that prompted – this case to ultimately be reach this resolution that it did and right. give this justice for Janet and this closure for her family and all that stuff. So it's important. Yes. It's also amazing to me that so many people knew what was going on, saw this happening to her. They never stopped it. They never stood up for her. They never helped her, never tried to save her. And then they never told mm-hmm. or 30 years, they kept the secret. And even then, after 30 years, it was only one of them that told. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, they didn't even, I mean, even when they were arrested and convicted, they were still, like, saying, no, I had nothing right. to do with it. Well, Lori did. Lori admitted to it because well, she turned state witness. I'm saying the other guys saying that and, they weren't involved in it. But also, there were, like, people that worked at the motel, maids, Right. Uh, other people that lived in the community that were like having a relationship with some of these whack and hut boys, they knew about it. Some of them were at the house and they testified against all of these other people. Right. And, and all those people kept it secret all those years. Yeah. It's like, not even human. No, it's not. There's something wrong with you if you can keep that kind of secret for that long. Like, mm -mm. I mean, that's not, oh, I shoplifted a lip gloss from. Right. The general store. And I didn't tell anyone for 30 years. It's someone's life. Yes. And she was so just tortured. I can't imagine her parents after all this time wondering what happened, happened to her and then find out this. This is what happened. Yeah, like, no kidding. Wow. I mean, it's just – but I'm glad that the people – who did this to her, some of the people who did this to her are, like, dead and rotting. Well, yeah, I am too. It's just, it's sickening to know that her friend. I know. I mean, like, fine, these, like, random guys that nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows their background. 
still not fine, but whatever. But it's this is our friend. Yeah. Like, who's like, yeah, let's teach her a lesson. I mean, I guess her lesson wasn't didn't include murdering her, but her lesson was to have all these guys have their way with her. And that was gross. Yeah. Just take her soul. That's, that's all. That's disgusting. Her lesson. It's terrible. I don't even. I told you it was a dark one. <laughs> I told you yeah. it was a doozy. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> there it is. I gave it to you. You did. I'm not thanking you for that one. Okay. Well done. Well, good research. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to say what you don't really want to say. I got it. I can't, I can't, like, I can't even, I'm, I'm appalled by this one. I know. I'm appalled by by most of them, but this is one I literally have like no words for. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Know who you, know who you're friends with. Know who you're friends with. (laughs) Does anybody ever really know who they're friends with? Honestly? No, apparently not. Why you know, and you know, it's funny, not funny, haha, but just interesting. The entire time I was researching this case, I was like, our tagline has never been more relevant, right? Like, people suck, they Uh suck. Freaking world is scary, it is. (laughs) It's, I feel like it's, it, it came like our tagline came out, came out, it was like, oh, it should be this, sweet, that's great, awesome. And then it's like people see it or stuff like this happens and it's like, uh, it's, it's fact. Yes. <laughs> There's no like, I feel like there should be like hashtag fact at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's awful. No. It's, it. I thought it so many times. I was like, people, these people suck. Like it's so bad. Yes. Ugh. But she didn't suck. No, she and didn't. And her parents don't suck. And I, my heart just goes out to them. And I mean. Yes. There is no justice, but I am glad there is some closure. Yes, for sure. Yes. Gosh. Well, and if you guys want to find this documentary, it is hard to find. You can send me a message and I'll try to, um, I'll try to get it to you. You have to pay for it. I'll send you a message later. Yeah, I'll send you a message. (laughs) My people call your people. (laughs) I totally want to watch it. Um. I, I don't I, I'm sure nobody has an opinion on this one. Don't I don't even want to ask for your opinions. <laughs> it's gonna oh anyway, but I can I even say if you liked this? No. no. You don't no, you don't like this one. No nope. nobody likes this one. No. Nope. But if you do enjoy us as a whole. There you go. Let us know. Keep it coming. Send us to your friends, which apparently has been happening because we've been hearing it through social media. Oh, so-and-so told me about this. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Or you find us randomly, which I don't know how that happens because we're so tiny, but it's awesome. Um, it's kind of been exciting, actually, over the last couple of weeks, I feel like, to find out how, like, we've kind of we, – I mean, we know how we grow, but I don't know. The people that are listening and send us a message or a note or a voice mail or – Yes, whatever. We value it's been those really cool. So much. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. It's what's keeping us going, truly. So yes. um, keep them coming. Rate and review us if you get a chance. And gosh, we're in December already. Whew. This is crazy to me mm-hmm. to know that. So anyway, holidays are coming. Happy holidays. Yes. <laughs>
Always remember, the world is scary, people suck, hide in your closets. 